Every day, consumers are being bombarded with the next big thing in health, wellness, and fitness. What's the future of keeping ourselves healthy, and what's just a passing fad? Hi, I'm Joey Thurman, and if you don't know me, I'm a health and fitness expert and author. I've been fortunate enough to work with celebrities, athletes, C-suite executives, and everyone in between. I've been featured on the Today Show, live with Kelly and Ryan, Good Morning America, TEDx, and lots of other publications. As part of my ever-increasing thirst for knowledge, which ironically happened after college, I decided to create the Fatter Future podcast. What sets this podcast apart is that I am the guinea pig for these episodes. I don't only want to bring in world-class experts on the show, I want to truly get a first-hand experience what it's like to, say, go on ketamine and trip for my depression, go on a three-day fast drinking nothing but coffee and water for age reversal, eat nothing but plants and get the blood work done to back it up, or even get my brain mapped to see how messed up my head is from getting knocked around playing hockey. Once I try these things, I bring on the experts to talk about my experience and explain it to the audience in a digestible manner and ask the true question. Is it a fad or is it the future? Because after all, we don't want to be faddies. Can you imagine being addicted to drugs, getting kicked out of the armed forces, and then you know what? Deciding I'm only going to eat plants for the rest of my life. My next guest, John Joseph, is also in the famous band, the Cro Mags. This guy, I tell you what, no censors whatsoever. And one of the most entertaining podcasts I've ever done in my entire life. John truly tells you exactly what he feels, no filters whatsoever. He's the author of the book, The PMA Effect, and talks about having a positive mindset. Despite all the trials and tribulations and fights and jail time that he's went through, he has come out of it a better person. This guy is truly, truly motivational. And make sure... Um, you're okay with some cuss words because they're going to come at you during this one. Here's my conversation with the one, the only, John Joseph. What's going on? It's Joey Thurman. There's another ap- episode of the Fad or Future podcast. Now, my guest today, he needs no introduction, but he's got a long introduction, <laughs> and, and, and it is a good one. All right, we ready for this one? Uh, John Joseph has had an amazing journey through life. Being the son of an alcoholic welterweight prize fighter who battered his mother came with a price. That price was paid at the age of five when his father severely beat his mother for the last time and he and his two brothers were split up and put into orphanages. The years that followed, this man, it's, it's even hard to read that. I've read yeah. this, old, it's, old, it, it's, it's hard. I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep going, but it's, it's, it's hard to read this. The years that followed for him were no less horrific as he and his two brothers were bounced around in some of the worst homes in New York State foster care system. In January 1977, at age 14, John hit the streets, alone at a time when New York was one of the most violent cities in the nation. He was shot, stabbed, and survived by being a heroin mule, angel dust dealer, and a slew of other scams. Man, this is, this is a rough story. <laughs> taught, taught, taught him by his teachers at the, uni- at the University of the Streets. After numerous criminal incidents... John was arrested and sent to New York City's infamous Spoffer Juvenile Correctional Center in the Bronx and was subsequently moved upstate to serve 18 months of lockup. John formed the Crow Mags in 1981 and has been touring ever since. He penned his memoir in 2007, The Evolution of Crow Magnon, as a way to exercise the demons that haunted him. The response has been overwhelming as John's longtime friend, the late Adam Yao, uh, Beastie Boys himself has said, a lot of people talk about coming from the streets when John says it's the shit is real. 
As of late, John's memoir is in development for a feature film, his second book, Meat is for Pussies, probably the best book title ever. <laughs> a, a comedic guide for real health for men was picked up by HarperCollins for a summer 2014 release. John convinced thousands of people to give up meat and live healthier spiritual lives, and he put his 33 years of experience in the vegetarian athletic field in every chapter. His third book, The PMA Effect, Positive Mental Attitude, came out in October of 2018. It's definitely a game changer as it helps people develop the mindset to overcome any difficult difficulties in life. John still practices, how do you say that? Hare Krishna tennis. Hare Krishna tennis, man. A daily chanting service to others, feeds the homeless, mentors at-risk at youth and inmates. He also has competed in 10 Iron tri Ironman triathlons. Wow. Seems, well, John, you, your life has been an evolution, mm. my man. I, I truly appreciate you being on the podcast and... The bio speaks volumes, but you know, let's just talk about you know your your career and addiction. And I think that we, what we want to talk about here is, um, you know, fat or future. But you found a way to get yourself out of the shit and find another way to make your life more positive. You know, I was always athletic because the thing was uh, when we were in that foster home, we were never allowed to be in the house. We slept in the garage next to all the tools. And then we had to stay in an outdoor screened-in patio. We never were allowed to go in the refrigerator to have... I mean, we basically got fed the same food as their dog. Wow. And the thing was, they didn't want to see us around. We were just income for them. They had six foster kids, the one home I was in for over six years. So they would constantly send us out and we would go to the park and play sports. So that's where, that was my outlet. You know, you're in a foster home and all the neighborhood kids are making fun of you because you got fucked up clothes. I can curse, right? Yeah, man. All right, yeah, yeah, no, tattered no, yeah, clothes. Yeah. Cur and, cur curse all you want. You know, they would, you know, I wrote about it in my book. Uh, you know, just the way they would send us to school and the guy was beating the shit out of us and, and the whole neighborhood made fun of us. But the, the thing that leveled the playing field was when I got on the field or the ball court or whatever, that's when I got respect because I started developing uh, a deep internal anger for what was done to me. And the way that that came out was through sports. Yeah. Hitting motherfuckers harder, yeah. playing harder, yeah. trying to, you know, I was making up. It, it caused a lot of insecurities. My mother basically chose uh, her boyfriend over us after the state took us away. And we were being abused in every way you could imagine. And it made me uh, have a lot of insecurities and feel unloved and unwanted. And... um you know, the only reason I, the only way I was able to get back some dignity and self-respect was through athleticism. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I um, played sports like a motherfucker, yeah. and and it was so weird because, like, I wrote about this in my memoir. Um, basically, we were like slaves in the house. We had to work nonstop, and the only reason I, I tried out for the basketball team, and I wrote about this incident, and I'll never forget the teacher, um, the basketball coach, because I had to sneak and say I had after, uh, after um, 
school classes. I had to take classes because I was falling behind. And um, and the thing was, I was sneaking to practices for the basketball team, and I made the team. I kept, you know, they would put the cut list up, and I kept making it, kept making it. Yeah. I was like point guard, you know, just fucking hanging with the brothers. Yeah. And this one guy, Kevin Bow, he made it to Penn State and everything. He was like this super athlete in the town. And um, the thing was, it came to the time of we had to pay for the uniforms, and I had no money. Wow. So that's why I got cut. And uh, I, I, I got cut because I didn't pay for the uniform. And I went into – I didn't know that, though. They just cut me. Yeah. And I, uh, I went into the office of the basketball coach – and I was like, why did I get cut? And he's like, because you didn't pay for the uniforms. And I had never told anybody, because the one time I told the school what was happening, they called the foster father in and said, you know, he's making serious allegations, what's going on in the home. So he lied nine ways till Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then he took me to Pilgrim State Mental Hospital and smashed my face against the fence. Oh, shit. And all of the mental patients were fucking grabbing my face. And, like, it was terrifying. And he said, if you ever say anything again, I'm going to put you in here. And you're never going to see your brothers, your mother. No one's going to know where you are. And then I was like, I just kept my mouth shut. But the thing was, I never said anything ever again. But when I was able to make that team, I broke down and told the basketball coach, I was like, yo... This is what's going on, and I just broke down crying, and uh, he, you know, paid for the uniforms. I, I still get choked up, yeah, man. you know, over it. And um, how old were you during this? I want to say uh, it was seventy-two. I was about ten or eleven, Shit. junior high school, yeah. and he made me. Uh, he paid for the uniforms and made me the captain of the team. Wow. And uh, so yeah, and then you know when I went on to the streets and everything, I played handball in Rockaway Beach. I was in Rockway. Actually, I went onto the streets before 77 because I went out on the streets and um, I split a couple times from uh, from St. John's Home for Boys in Rockaway Beach. And it was, I finally left in 77, but I played handball out there and we won tournaments. It was a big thing in 76 and, you know, Rockaway Beach, Playland and all that shit. The Ramones were hanging out. So I was yeah. a great handball player. I played with this Irish guy that was like from Rockaway he was a uh, airborne ranger and fucking crazy <laughs> motherfucker Joey Keen and um you know we uh won tournaments and stuff and then when I got locked up that was the next it was always sports and music sports and music right. sports and music that got me through and when I got locked up they have a saying and when you're inside that you got to get your weight up and I went in 130 pounds soaking wet. Wow. And I came out 165 diesel. I boxed, played sports every day, boxed. And the funny thing was when I was on the streets, there was this maniac family in Rockaway Beach that nobody fucked with. Like the one dude fractured my skull with a pipe. Shit. And uh, I never did anything to him, but the cousin, this kid Philip, kept picking on me and picking on me. And I never wanted to retaliate because, you know, I was staying at people's houses and whatever. And if you go up against that family, they're just going to ban you from Rockaway. And uh, when I got out of lockup, 
I went back to Rockaway and I was like, he saw me. He's like, damn, you got big, man. Uh, and I fucking cracked him <laughs> and he fucking dropped him. And I was like, that's for all the times you fucked with me. Yeah. That, you know, and, and um, I caught another case and then they offered me the military or uh, going back to jail. Four to six in jail or four in, in, in the military. And I, as I always say, the state didn't raise no fool. I took the military. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that seems like a But no, yeah, no sports brand. was, uh, sports and music. That was that was your saving grace. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about your book here, the the PMA effect. Now, you have a no bullshit attitude. I mean, if if you follow uh, follow John on uh, Instagram, it's great. And it's you know you talk about how you want to harness the power of the mind. And, you know, I think that we all have addictive personalities, and and you really need to find something that you need to strive for and I need to hold on to. Um, you talk about how people can start doing that. Well, the first thing I always say is you, is to stay goal-oriented. That's why, mm -hmm. like, I finish I finish a book, I'm starting the next one. I finish writing a film, I'm writing the next one. There's always the next project. I finish a race, there's always another race. I got Cozumel coming up, and I already signed up for St. George and, and, and Lake Placid. So there's always something... You know, I talk about I set up my corkboard, and and I have goals on there that I that I try to achieve, mm -hmm. and you work towards those goals every day. You chip away at it. You know, you have to, you know, kind of like, you know, Goggins always says it's the accountability mirror, man. You got to be accountable to yourself first and foremost, and be like. All right, I'm gonna get this done today. Mm -hmm. Like every day, I'm up early. I'm fucking cranking it out. I meditate. I do japa. I met, which is on beads, and um, you know. But positive mental attitude really came from uh, Napoleon Hill, mm -hmm. who wrote all those self help books, and the Bad Brain singer copped it from him. So that's the first time I ever heard about it. It was in 1980. I was in the military. I was out of my fucking mind. I came out of just under two years of lockup. I think I did like 20, 23 months or something. Wow. And then uh, in like the worst places you can imagine. In Spofford, I was the only white dude in the whole facility. And to set it up properly, Roots was on TV. And it was the first year, I think, that the 5%er, uh, the Nation of Islam's like military wing started taking over the prison systems in the States. So, to, you know, they called me Yaku, the white devil. I had a target on my back the first day I went into Spofford. People were like, you're going to be my Maytag motherfucker and all this. Wow. Like, I'm going to be cleaning their, you know, cleaning their drawers and whatever the fuck. And I'm like, uh-uh. So the first, first day in the wing, I, had, I, I knocked the motherfucker out with a chair upside the head and banged out his friend. And then it was sports again that got me through that. But when I went into the service, it was like, I'm going to set this up properly for you because I went in on the buddy program. My brother was fucking up too. And we went in on the buddy program in 1980. I meant we were supposed to go to all the same boot camp schools, this, that, the other thing, except the only problem was he has, my brother E has genius level IQ. Uh -huh. And he qualified for the nuclear program. Wow. And was going to nuclear engineer school, ICM. On my ASVABs, 
They offered me boats and mate, this, that, the, you know, basically a fucking, like, nothing. So they give you an IQ test beforehand? Or yes, I'm... ASVABs. It's the military uh, exam. Wow. And it's basically, I think, it's a little harder than getting... It's a little harder than a GED. Okay. So I didn't study for it. I just fucking was like, whatever. <laughs> I fucking winged it. I passed. I passed the physical. Yeah. So when we went to boot camp, we shipped out of Fort Hamilton. Okay. I came out of lockup. I was on the streets for one month before I caught another drug case, slinging heroin. And when I went to Fort Hamilton... Me and my brother fucking smoked five bags of angel dust. To, and I'd never even been on a fucking plane before. How in the hell are you still alive? So we went to boot camp. I got off the... And they always bring you in at night to disorient you, you know? It, 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 that's what... To make you... Um, it's like a psychological thing. You become dependent. You don't know where the fuck you are. They right. bring you to Great Lakes. It's like out in the middle of nowhere. It's fucking freezing. It's January. And I'm fucking high on dust, and I pass <laughs> out. And then the next day, they're throwing fucking M80s down the aisle and banging, you know, and fucking everybody, drop your cocks, grab your socks, reveille, reveille, feet on the floor. And I just laid there. The motherfuckers turned over my rack. <laughs> drop your cocks and grab drop, your socks. Yeah, that's, uh, come on, you fucking, they, before they call you a rock, you're a raisin. So... <laughs> Get the fuck your feet on the floor, raisins. Like, everything you've seen in the movies is true with wow. boot camp. Wow, And uh, I was fucking basically coming down off of angel dust, but I started to excel because I was so physically fit. They made me the um, PT uh, petty officer uh, that had to train. Everybody had to keep up with my count of push-ups and pull-ups and whatever the fuck. And, really? uh yeah, so, and then when I went out to the fleet, I was uh, smuggling on my ship. I was smuggling quaaludes and fucking, <laughs> you know, whatever I could get my hands on, Jamaica, weed, and, and all this shit, and selling drugs in Norfolk, wow. and fucking up. And then the Bad Brains played at this club called the Taj Mahal. Uh-huh. And I was already into punk because I was going to all the punk clubs in, in New York City back in the day. Yeah. Like 77, I'm a fucking kid, 14, 15 years old. Dead Boys, Ramones, SCBs, just fucking seeing everybody. And um, I was like the only punk rocker, Navy dude in Norfolk, like wearing Sex Pistols fucking shirts. <laughs> These motherfuckers were like... And the thing was, when I met the Bad Brains, and then he was like talking about, he, they had this song, Attitude. It's famous by the Bad Brains. It's uh -huh. on their first album. And and speaking of the late, great Adam Yout, who was an incredible human being, yeah. helped the Dalai Lama, just so humble, so talented. He would always get up with us at when Cro-Mags would play CBGBs and play these two Bad Brains songs with us. But the Bad Brains had this song called Attitude. Don't care what they don't don't care what they may say. We got that attitude. Don't care what people may do. We got that attitude. Yeah, we got that PMA. Yeah, we got. Uh, and I was like, Yo, what the fuck's PMA? Yeah. He's like positive mental attitude. He goes with with the right mindset, with the right mind. Even boulders in your path become pebbles that you could just kick away. And I was like, I started really hearing about. Because, you know, the thing is, everything that was done to me as a kid, 
my brother, you know, we were molested in his home and fucking beaten and starved and fucking ridiculed by the neighborhood kids for years. So I just became this vicious, like, pit bull fucking dude that I was not a bully, but if you fucked with me on the streets, if you were bigger than me, I picked up an equalizer. I would smash you across the face with a two-by-four or whatever it took. And it was that way in lockup. Yeah. And then when I went into the military, that's how I got my respect at, at, in Norfolk at the at the punk clubs. Because these rednecks were coming in and all the punks, nobody would fight these rednecks. And I just beat the shit out of like four of them. I was slamming them over the head with bar stools and <laughs> just a fucking stabbed them in the fucking neck with a bar. I just didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like... You know, I was hanging dudes off balconies by their ankles, like ten story, like ten stories up, while I'm on quaaludes and just a mess. I was a mess, and I had all this rage and anger. So what you, what did you do with that rage and anger? Obviously, you know, we're, we're shaped by what's happening. Well, so I, the music was an outlet for that. Okay. So the punk rock rage, seeing, I was hanging out in D.C. with Henry Rollins and fucking Ian MacKay and the whole scene and the Bad Brains and like, and getting out and slam dancing and fucking, the music, it was like, a lot of us, the D.C., a lot of those D.C. kids came from middle to upper class families, a lot of their parents worked for the government, whatever the fuck, and then a lot of them, you know, had broken families too which was my situation. So it's like when you don't have a tribe in life and you don't have a family, mm-hmm. you make your fucking family. Yeah. And that's where I started being like, nobody's going to fuck with us. And I remember we were playing after a gig. We went to Wisconsin Avenue and everybody would go to the arcade. And then these Marines, you know, beat up these fucking punk rock little kids for no fucking reason that were with us. And we just ran outside and just fucking demolished these dudes. So it was like, I wasn't a bully, but it was like, all right, motherfucker, Mm -hmm. you drew first blood, now it's on. And, you know, I got in trouble in the military. I caught a case in Norfolk I sold to an undercover cop. So I was pretty, selling a lot of drugs. Yeah in the uniform and fucking up. I had to see a psychiatrist the whole time I was locked up in 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 inside I was seeing a psychiatrist. Okay. Uh putting me I had to take Dorazine sometimes. And then when I went into the Navy they had me see a psychiatrist and that psychiatrist was like, This dude is a time bomb waiting to go off and I was getting into fights in town, drinking. I, 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 I had this car, and I smashed it right into the front gate of the fucking base and ran. Jesus. Like, I was so fucked up. I just crashed his car, got out, and just ran away. And after I caught the drug case, I was... It was getting serious. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm like hanging with the punk rockers in 80 up in D.C. and Norfolk and whatever, and going back up to New York to go to shows, Black Flag. I always tell the story. I was slam dancing at Black Flag at Irving Plaza, and this big motherfucker just knocks me flying through the air, you know, moshing or whatever they call it now. And I I look, and it's fucking John Belushi. (laughs) 
you know, like, so, you know, it was, and, and then after, I went out as, I went out to sea, and this one redneck kept fucking with me on my ship, and I was like, dude, like, most people go into the military because they're lost in life, and like, I had no choice, I'm yeah. like, this dude don't know my past, he's mm -hmm. just like, it, New York, motherfucker, fucking punk rock, homo, and all this shit, and yeah. I'm like, yo, dude, you need to back the fuck up, man. I'm telling you, like, stop fucking with me. And then it was really weird, like, the universe, the way everything happened strategically. It was like the universe, God, Krishna, whatever, was just playing chess with me. Yeah. And it was like moving the pieces. And right before we went out to sea, we were on our way to South America. To, and I was restricted to the ship. They took all my pay. I lost all my pay restricted to the ship, like extra duty. Off. Because of the case I caught. Yeah. So while I was waiting for the civilian case, it was uh, it was fucked up. So we uh, we went to Puerto Rico, Roosevelt Road. We did a shakedown cruises in uh, Cuba, and then I had gotten my wisdom teeth pulled, and they got infected, and I was like, real sick while I'm restricted to the ship, and the dude went off. Liberty in Bermuda, and he's like, fuck it, we're going to have fun, fuck you, and I'm like scrubbing the deck with a deck grinder, this like fucking machine, that, and then like he just fucked with me like the next day, and I caught him in the paint locker because he was a boat's mate. I locked the door, it's called dogging down the door, and I just picked up a paint can and started fucking beating him till he shit his pants and passed out. Wow. And then they fucking brig. And um, then it got, it was getting serious. And then I developed this fever that was so high they had to medevac me off the ship back to Norfolk, back to Roosevelt Roads, mm -hmm. rather. And back, that was before computers. So they didn't know I was supposed to be handcuffed uh. to the fucking bed. So they cut my orders. They said, yo, your ship, we didn't hear from them. They went, you know, on a five-month cruise, whatever the fuck, back down to Brazil and Argentina, the whole shit. Mm -hmm. So they sent me back to Norfolk. And then when I found out the ship was coming in, I, I split. And I was like, that's when the music shit, I went up, moved in with the Bad Brains. And, and that's I started channeling all of that angst and all that fucking anger into the music mm -hmm. and we formed the Cro-Mags in 81 at 171A it was the Bad Brains manager was the drummer huh. this dude Dave Stein was on guitar actually the first band they that I tried to get in I was me and this guitar player and we were building up uh, a band around him and he got murdered this Jeez. was when New York was crazy yeah he was sleeping with some bikers uh, X and the dude didn't, you know, nobody ever found his body or nothing, but wow. it, he got killed. And uh, so then the Chromags formed, and you know, just I channeled all of that into the music, you know, all that fucking anger, and and it was dangerous to be in New York back then, too, mm -hmm. in Alphabet City. They had the saying, if you went to Avenue A, you were adventurous, B, you were bold, C, you were crazy, D, you were dead. Wow. I was living in squats, fucking between C and D, fucking Allen Street Boys on Rivington Street, 
pulled guns on me and Jesus. took my squat. Like, just, it was just crazy. You know, being in New York, people have no fucking clue. Like, this uh, fucking Mama Luke mouthed off to me yesterday on the river, like, for no reason at all with his dog. And I'm like, you know, just, I'm like, bro, you know, you're like a fucking pseudo tough guy, man. Like, just chill. Yeah. Wow, I mean, but try to yeah. walk around with a peaceful vibe, you know. Yeah. I was, I lived, yeah. I lived from '82 to '84. I was a monk. I was really? a Hari Krishna. Yeah, I just needed to do that internal work on myself. So I was a Hari Krishna monk for for two years. I tell you what, you 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 have a peaceful vibe about you, and, and I don't know if it's from all the violence where you you kind of have have taken that angle, or if you're you're, you're humble. And even talk about in, in your book where people say they're at rock bottom, but there's you can, all there, you can there's, go under rock there's bottom. always something you below can go that. under the rocks, under the mag. But you know what it is? What did Joe? I think it was Joe Frazier said the most peaceful room is a room full of fighters, mm. because like I think it was Joe Frazier that said that. Yeah. But uh, because they ain't got nothing to prove, it's all the pseudo motherfuckers that's. Like, I know guys that, I, I, I know one guy, I just ran into him the other day when I was walking my dog on the river, and he fucking did 22 years in, like, fucking Sing Sing and Comstock and Elmira and, and fucking, the guy's been locked up 22 motherfucking years in gladiator school. This ain't like, oh, I go take jujitsu or I go <laughs> to a boxing, cl you know, I'm taking Taibo or whatever right. the fuck. Right. This is motherfuckers are coming to fucking kill you. Yeah. School. Okay? It's a much yeah. different environment. I would not and do, he I is would the not do most well gladiator school. Humble, peaceful fucking dude. He works with kids now and keep in community programs and you know, it's just it's you you just you've been there, done that. It's like why do I wanna walk around there's dudes that are, I guess they're trying to make their mark in this fucking world and mm -hmm. prove they're tough. But it's like, to me, I'm like, you know, I got fucking, you know, and, and I say that, you know, that, um, you know, the amount of risk that somebody takes is, is that's, that is, is codependent. That's the value of anything is the amount of risk. And, and I said in my book that me and Risk, we've been on a first name basis at the moment of conception because mm -hmm. my father raped my murder, my mother. I was conceived. She left him after my first brother. He broke in, beat the shit out of her and raped her. And my mother chose not to, to she chose to have me. So you're a product of So yeah. from the moment of conception, while she was pregnant with me, he was beating her. She, he, she got raped again and had my little brother. And the cops didn't do nothing to him because he was this... He boxed at Customato's Gramercy Gym. He was like... And all the pros from that area were like told my brother because he went to some fundraiser when they found out that, you know, he was, you know, my father's kid. They bugged the fuck out. They were like, your father could have fucking fought for a title. But he wanted to be a gangster yeah. more than he wanted to be a fighter and he got caught up in the drinking wow so you talk about in the book you say when you know, when you break free from the herd people will criticize you absolutely what what are you, what are your thoughts on that 
Well, you know, I always lived outside the box. I, I, I never really conformed to what society told you to fucking do. I didn't have that life, you know, where it's like, okay, finish school, go to college, get your job, wear your tie. You know, it was never that type of shit. And I think there's the three phases of truth. I told somebody this the other day because they wrote me. And I answer every fucking, everybody that writes me, man, I fucking answer them back. I'll tell you what, you do, because I, I sent you a note on Instagram. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you something. Somebody just hit me up, and they were like, and he came on my walking tour last Sunday, and he was like, bro, I was fucking suicidal. I did time in prison. I was addicted. I got three kids. And I reached out to you and you corresponded with me and it saved my fucking life. Wow. So you never know, like, and all I'm, it, I say all I am is the messenger, man. I'm the mailman. I'm just fucking delivering the mail. I didn't come up with it, but I know what helped me. And if it, it helped a fucked up person like mm -hmm. me uh, to get through the shit, it's going to help any, it can help anybody. And that's. Somebody just wrote me yesterday and were like, yo, everybody's snapping on me. They're fucking, you know. And the first, the three stages of truth are what? Ridicule, violent opposition, and acceptance. So that's what happens. I mean, imagine like I go plant-based at the end of fucking, at the beginning of 81. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking not eating meat. You know how many motherfuckers were like, oh, man, you fucking, you know. Yeah. Not to my face, sure. obviously, because I punch him in the fucking mouth. <laughs> Back then, I would. Now, I'm yeah. just like, I laugh it off. Right. Because now everybody's coming around and being like, oh, shit, this shit. You know, my friend just beat cancer doing a... They gave him no chance of surviving with chemo or nothing and a brain tumor. And he fucking... The brain tumor went away and he's fucking... His cancer's in remission. Right. You know, so... I wrote this person and I said, look, man, you know, people are always going to be that way. You have to be strong enough in what the fuck you know is the right thing to take that stand. You know, and for me, the first thing, you know, with going plant-based was I didn't eat, I wasn't even up on, you know, the, the nutrition and, yeah. the, and the health aspect so much. I was just told by... Rastafarians that I met in Jamaica when my ship pulled in, they took me up into the hills and like I, I got three pounds of lamb's bread for them and they fucking carved out statues and and stuffed it up in these wooden statues and sealed it and and they were like Rastafari means prince of peace they were like you know for every second that that animal suffers you, you have to ingest that suffering of that being and and then the Babrains and J and their sound man, the late J. W. Lee, who did that first record, was like all into raw foods and stuff like that. Yeah. And he was like, "Yo, just and H. R. Them guys were like, "Yo, just try it. Come on this tour, do it. Don't eat any meat. Don't don't take drugs. Don't drink, yeah. and see how and your life is gonna change." And I, and like it was like something clicked. Was it 81? Yeah, beginning of 81. Yeah. I did the, the Bad Brains' first Southern tour, and nobody even knew they were black. We were showing up at KKK <laughs> biker bars, wow. and you can imagine what the fuck was going down when yeah. they walked in and yeah. were like, what the fuck are y'all N-words doing? Right. In? I mean, we were fucking, they were ripping us. We were fucking just, we would, f 
they brought me out because they were like, yo, this motherfucker will fight anybody. Yeah. I got in a fight against a Puerto Rican gang that tried to close down uh, gigs at 171A. BC Boys, everybody was there and nobody would fight him. And I was like, the dude tried to stab me Jesus. and I fucking, you know, blocked the knife and then just fucking knocked him out and then fought like four of his dudes coming at me with knives and I, I used to wear a chain big <laughs> thick bike chain and I just started lashing them wow and I got I got stabbed in the shoulder but I got away and then they put a KOS on me which is kill on sight Jeez. like I couldn't even come to Alphabet City at all it was the most notorious drug gang down there wow. and um so yeah, I went out on the road with them, but like something just clicked when I stopped getting high and yeah. I stopped fucking eating meat. Yeah. I was just like this like real deep calm and I started meditating and going to yoga and it was like this whole I started doing a lot of internal work cuz I needed it. Mm -hmm. I always was terrified and my mother we kind of, it was always a loose relationship. The relationship with her really got tight in the last 20 years. But before that, she was like, you're going to kill someone. And I really thought, because I would just snap. And I was like, I had this fear of like, I'm going to end up going to jail for murder or mm -hmm. get murdered. or. And then when I started going to yoga and cooking at Intro Yoga Institute in, in 81, Swami Satchitananda, and working at the health food store. I was like, just this calm. Like the first time I ever went to a yoga class, I was like, holy shit. I, I felt energized. Mm. And it didn't make me weak or whatever. I would still... Like, even after I started doing yoga, there was this one event. I was at 171A, and I'm walking down 10th Street, and they had a blue door operation there, which was a drug spot. And it was raining, and I'm walking down the street, and it's pouring rain. I'm going to set up drums for the Bad Brains at the Negril Club. They were doing a reggae night. And I seen the dude come down the stairs in a trench coat. And before, and I was, I had smoked weed, you know, because weed is ganja, whatever the fuck. And the dude pulls out a forty-four Magnum to my fucking head. And no words were even exchanged. It was like I was just standing there and he starts going through my pockets, robbing me. I had nothing in my pockets. But I was calm enough to let him think that I was shook. And then I blocked the gun away from my face and I took him and smashed his head off of the car and knocked him out. Wow. And then the dude came down the stairs with a machete and that's when I was like, fuck this, I just <laughs> ran. But I'm saying it was always like... The gun didn't scare you, but the nah. machete did. Okay. Well, <laughs> at that point, they knew, like, you know, you see a motherfucking 200-pound uh, motherfucker like yeah. coming at you like John Belushi... Yeah. You know, fucking Samurai Kitchen. You yeah. ain't fucking tangling with that dude. I was lucky enough, you know, to, to you know, like that dude Paul Vunak always used to say, hurt to a degree and get away. You don't stay there. Like, mm -hmm. it's ain't the movies. Mm -hmm. 
I just got away from a 44 Magnum put to my fucking forehead. Yeah. I'm not, you know, that's, yeah. you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Right. I ran. But I'm saying it never, you know, I realized that, like, it brought an internal peace to me, and then I started practicing in the martial arts. But it was never made me, like, and then I started reading up on the culture of the Vedic warriors and how the Bhagavad Gita was spoken on a battlefield and martial arts originated in India and the Chachriyas in India, Arjuna and all these guys. And I'm like, this shit don't make you weak. This makes you stronger. Yeah. And you stand up and you fight for the right causes. And that's what it was all about. I was never a bully. Yeah. But if anybody fucked with my friends or my family or my tribe... I would fucking go off. Yeah. So, and you, so you found you found yoga. You went plant based. I mean, uh, pl- in plant based. Uh, I went raw at yeah. first. So you went raw, which was I went raw. I, I, oh yeah, eighty one. Rick, I saw Victoria Kovinska speak. I got because J W Lee was a raw foodist, the bad brain sound man, and he turned me on to all these books, survival into the twenty first century, mm-hmm. and all these Anne Wigmore, the fucking Hippocrates people, and how this shit heals all this disease. So I was up on that shit before that, you know, I went raw first. And then once I saw Victoria Skowinska speak and Ann Wigmore, they would go to Integral Yoga and give these seminars, and I got to go to the seminars for free. And I was like, yo, drinking sprout juice, wheatgrass juice fasts, and fucking seed cheeses and all kinds of shit. And, you know, but it didn't last... You know, because I, when I went to the Hare Krishna temple, you know, they use uh, ghee and stuff like that from uh-huh. their farms or whatever. So you're a monk. You ain't got money. You, yeah, you know, yeah. when I went to the first temple, I had no possessions. I showed up with 300 pounds of sprouting seeds. They were like, what the fuck? is?" I swear to God, dude, in, in Puerto Rico, <laughs> up in the rainforest, across from El Junque, uh, across the valley, I was in Gorabo in the temple. And I had no possessions except for like uh, the 300 pounds of sprouting seeds. And I went with this other dude and we each had 25 pound bags of wheatgrass, of uh, wheat berries and alfalfa and wow. radish and clover and broccoli. They're like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, that's sprouting seeds, man. They're like, you know, and when, uh, when all that shit ran out, then it was like, all right. You're going to eat what we give you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, it, it took a lot of in. Like, people look at me now, and they're like, you know, I just turned 57. And they're like, yo, you know. But they don't see all the blood, the sweat, the tears. Like, even writing my memoir, man, it took me six fucking years. Because every time I got to the abuse part, I would fucking have meltdowns and would stop writing. And it I wasn't mean, until I couldn't even read. I can't even read that, man. I can't imagine. You I can't. That I, I I couldn't. I couldn't put the 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 sexual abuse shit in there because it was like it just fucked with my mind. But I was like, you know, I would have these melt. I mean, literal meltdowns where I would sob for an hour at the computer, and then I would just shelf it. Do you do you, do you find that therapeutic? Yeah, it, it was. And I'm gonna tell you because I started. Uh, I went to, what helped me big time was uh, Robert McKee, who wrote the book Story. Uh, I started going to his story seminars, and I was writing a film about a boxer and based 
the childhood of that character on what I went through. And I asked him, every time between uh, he would have breaks, and you'd be in there for 10 hours a day, three days straight, the, the stories workshop. It's fucking, it's legendary. If you saw the movie Adaptation uh-huh. with Nicolas Cage, Brian Cox portrayed him fucking perfectly. Robert McKee is the guru of fucking writing. And I waited for everybody else to ask their questions, and then it was he was just there alone. I, and I was like, you know, Mr. McKee, as far as like, uh, you know, a protagonist who was abused as a child, he's like, stop right there. And he said... Child abuse is the number one cliche that writers will use when they're writing flat characters and they try to get empathy out of the audience for a character that's so flat we don't give two shits about them. He said it ain't what happened to the character, it's what they do as a result. That's the story. Wow. And I was like, bingo. And then when he signed my book at the end of the thing, story, the book story, he wrote, always write the truth and that's that gave me like I was like I can't not put that in the book because the film came first and then the book was an afterthought I started fucking around with the book while I'm doing the film and then I was like that gave me the I was like I have to tell the true story otherwise it's an incomplete you know you're not going to get the full picture and then when the book came out it just I got the cover of The Voice, like just fucking Woody Harrelson read it, like all these motherfuckers. It just became Patty Jenkins, who did Monster. Wow. uh, Is my friend, and she was like, gave me a blurb for the back of the book. Like all kinds of people, and like, actually, The Village Voice thought, because all those fake memoirs came out, and when I met the dude to do the interview, he was like, dude, get the fuck out of here. There's no way that you did all this shit and survived. I was like, bro, I did worse shit than that. I didn't put it in the book. Jesus. You know, and then when he's like, well, how can we, you know, corroborate what the fuck you wrote? You have, I said, here's my mom's, here's all these numbers. You go fucking check. And when he did, they gave me the cover of the Village Voice, and it said, the brutal life and times of John Joseph, the blood clot diaries, and it was a microphone with like blood dripping off of it. Jesus. But yeah. you know, I, I I like that it's it's not about what happened, but it's what, what, it's you what do we do as a result. That yeah. you know, true character is only revealed under pressure. The greater the pressure, the greater re- revelation of true character. That's why when you look at any of these uh, special force selection processes, th- that's what they do. You know, they put you through the most intense pressure to see who's going to fucking crack. They call it weeding out the bugs. And that's 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 how that shit works. Because, like, everybody walks around wearing a mask in, in public, right? Everybody, that's the difference between characterization. And characterization is the observable qualities that everyone has. I'm a tough guy. I got tattoos. McKee kept fucking with me. He's like, all these guys, all these tattoos in the seminar. And then he's like... When the pressure's on, they're fucking marshmallows. And he's, like, looking at me, winking and shit. Like, we had a little rapport going back and forth. But it's true. Because the motherfucker that you think is so tough and got his shit together and so courageous, when the pressure's on, will crumble like a fucking $2 suit. And the motherfucker who's completely just so 
on the down low will be the motherfucker that will rise above that shit. And I've seen it a million times being in all the circles that I've been in. What do they say? Empty barrels make the most fucking noise. And it ain't those people that you got to watch out for. It's They always say that. It's the quiet motherfuckers. And I know one friend of mine, he was exactly like that. He was a world-class martial artist, and he's now in the diplomatic security service in a fucking, like, special unit. And I met some of the dudes he trained with who were Delta Force and Green Berets and SEALs, and they were like, that's your friend? They were like, they were fucking giving that dude props wow. because and he's so unassuming if you would see him in public you would never fucking know that this dude is a lethal mo- just like my friend who's in the teams now he's the nicest guy in the fucking world he was in act of valor like you fucking that movie mm-hmm. and you see him and he's all smiles and but there's that little fucking thing in his eye that you could see and we were bike messages to messengers together yeah. and like, you know, fucking he was around the hardcore scene and all that shit. And you would see when the shit was real, that's the motherfucker you want yeah. next to you. Cause you would just see this fucking switch come on and it was all business, but he never walked around letting anybody, you know, and, and, and would talk his way out of shit, tried to as much as possible, you know, Hey man, you know, until it was like, okay, you're leaving me no option. He was staying humble until he had to. Oh, humility personified. Yeah. And that's the philosophy. That's is that you should remain, you know, you should always think of yourself lower than the straw in the street, more tolerant than a tree, devoid of all sense of false prestige. That's how you stay on this path. You know, Beautiful. and and when you meet these people, they're like they don't want no praise. They don't want you know. They're fucking the quiet heroes, man. They yeah. really are. Like I've got to meet a lot of these motherfuckers over the year, and they're like, they just they just do their fucking job, yeah. and they don't go mouthing off about it and let you know all the shit. They there's nothing to prove because they've proving themselves yeah. to the utmost, you know? Yeah, I mean, man, you, you've lived lots of lives. I mean, I, A lot. For, for people that are listening who are struggling, they may be struggling right now, or they're struggling to face their demons, uh, and they've got a mental blockage. Uh, we have a couple minutes left. What advice would you give them to have that positive mental attitude and get out of the muck? Okay, and I, I I talk about this in the PMA effect mm-hmm. all the time, and you need a day one. You need to have a day where you say, all right, this is it. Today, I'm going to fucking choose not to get high. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do something that makes me feel better as a person. I'm going to fucking help somebody else. You have to have that. It's it's not one day I'll do this. It's sure. day one. I always say you got to turn that shit on its ass. Yeah. And, you know, I, I even after all the work I did on myself, uh, from 88 to 90, I fell into, like, a severe crack and pill addiction. I was doing the most insane shit. I was fucking robbing insane, crazy drug dealers. I had fucking KOSs on me from the West Coast to the East Coast. And I just had to say, like, 
all right, this is it. I'm going to fucking, I'm not getting high today. And I don't, I didn't have the luxury of going to a fucking rehab in Malibu or fucking any, I had to quit crack living in burnt out buildings where motherfuckers were smoking crack in the hallway as I went into the building. Wow. So you just need, and, and the other thing I say is don't isolate. Because one of the things that people do when they're, it is out of embarrassment they cut themselves off from other people. You can't do that. There's strength in numbers. My spiritual teacher, Prabhupada, uh, always used to say that one stick could be broken easily, right? But if you take 100 sticks, you're not breaking a bundle of 100 sticks. Right. So there's strength in numbers. It's called bhakta sangan. You take the association... If you're weak, you take the association of those positive people that could instill positive qualities in you. That's how I quit crack and all that shit. I went to the, to the Christian Temple of Brooklyn. I said, if you don't let me move in here, I'm going to be dead. Wow. And I just moved in. That was your day one. That was my day one. John, man, all right, last question. Positive mental attitude, fat or future? Well... How could something that's helping the entire planet be a fad? People ask me about the whole plant-based thing, too. The Game Changers just came out. All yep. these movies, Forks Over Knives. I'm like, this ain't no fad fucking diet, okay? This ain't, this ain't Atkins. This ain't none of this bullshit. The fucking tapeworm diet. Whatever these crazy... Like, something that's actually healing people and it's not going nowhere. Yeah. Positive mental attitude, it ain't going nowhere because that is the future for this planet. If we don't start, you know, first of all, we got to fix ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Charity starts at home. I always say that. You got to fix yourself first, right? And then we work together to fix the fucked up shit that's going on. Yeah. And you reach out. And it, to me, everything is about paying it forward. That's what I do. I never go out there putting the shit out there of the people that I help. Nothing. Mm -hmm. It's between me and that person. But it's always about paying it forward. It's always about... Because... And I'm going to leave you with this last thing. We just played a festival. Cro-Mags played with, uh, with uh, HR in Rhode Island at this outdoor festival. And this brother who I know since the Philly punk rock days in 81 opened up for Bad Brains. And he's a white roster. He goes, yo, you look fit. Yo. I was like, yeah, you know, doing my thing. He's like, yeah, you look mad healthy. And HR was sitting in the car. And I go, you see that man right there? I said, that's the candle that lit 10,000 other candles because... He helped me when I needed it. And I turned around and paid it forward and helped others. It's a grassroots movement. So we have to always reach out and help the next person. And and that's people say to me, how can I repay you? And I you know what I say? Help the next person struggling, man. That's how you do it. And that's how we collectively change the fucked up shit that's going on on the planet. But first we gotta fix ourselves. That's, that's what that book's that's about. That's great. John Joseph, where can people find you? John Joseph Cromag on Instagram, JJ Cromag on Twitter, John Joseph on fucking Facebook. I'm all over. You can Wait, find me on any street and, corner. And your, and your website. And Iron Man's. I'm always out there. Iron Man's and your website is? John Joseph 
www.merchnow.com. There you go. You, uh, you can get a t-shirt. I'm rocking that right now. You oh, that's booked. And books. might I say, yeah. you are one jack motherfucker. You know, it's a homeboy good, it's, had to change his shirt just so I so it, I could see he had a ten pack. It, it, it's a it's a good tan, my friend. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, all right, my man. I hey, truly, Joey, truly thank you, man. I I, I respect you, so you and your fitness, and take care of your family and. Yeah, you, you know, raise that uh, boy or girl. Boy, raise that little man right. Little I man. know you will. I, I'm, I'm doing what I can. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Hare John. Krishna. Thanks, John. Right on. <laughs> this is the Fatter Future of Fo- Podcast. Don't be a fatty. Be a part of the future. Cheers. Whoa! I told you that episode was going to be crazy. Thanks to John for coming in. I flew out to New York to see him, and he's truly. One of a kind. I guarantee nobody will ever grace the earth like he did. Next week, nutrition researcher, world-renowned researcher, Alan Aragon comes into the studio. I met him in Beverly Hills, and I'll tell you what, he has an interesting opinion on things. He researches all these things. Are fruits good for you? Vegetables, meat, different diets. He breaks down what he thinks you should be eating, what you should not be eating. And he even admits as a world-renowned researcher where he got things wrong. So make sure to subscribe, share, review the podcast, only if it's five stars. Pretty, pretty, please. If you want some fatter future, don't be a fatty merchandise. You can send me a message at Joey Thurman Fit or at Fatter Future Podcast on social media and check out fatterfuture.com and tune in next week as the world-renowned nutrition researcher, Alan Alan Aragon, graces me with his presence.